Welcome to the Make You Famous Podcast, where host Jeffrey Goldsmith talks with guests about fame and how to achieve it. I'm your host, Jeffrey Goldsmith, and check out the book at makeyoufamous.co. James Bailey is Professor of Leadership Development at the George Washington University School of Business. He was named one of the world's top 10 executive educators by the International Council for Executive Leadership Development. Welcome, James. Hi. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk. So we're, you know, um, going to talk today about um, sort of what distinguishes some leaders in business from others. Um, one interesting factoid that I noticed the other day is that if you search for the term CEO on LinkedIn, you get three million results. Oh. Now, yeah, most people don't even know the name of a handful of CEOs. <laughs> What do you think distinguishes those that become known from all the others that are out there? Well, I mean, first thing, a lot of those CEOs that you're seeing of those three million, um, impressive number to be sure, are probably CEOs of very, very small um, sole proprietorship organizations. So a lot of them are just them, right? It's one person. And uh, so you're seeing an enormous amount of people with that title. And uh, not necessarily the CEOs that you and I tend to think about, which are those big name CEOs. And that goes directly to your question is the ones we see are the ones that are in the news. And those tend to be a Fortune 500 companies and most Fortune 500s. You and I wouldn't know the name. Very educated people within the business world wouldn't even know their name. Generally, we tend to know the ones that are in charge of public companies with a clear consumer product. That's why we know Apple. That's why we know General Electric or DID um, or IBM or Disney because they have this thing, this thing, this product or maybe a service that you and I use on a daily basis and the press knows we're interested in them. If some CEO and his or her firm makes a particular integrated circuit that's used to monitor the electrical systems of automobiles, we never hear about that person because that right. particular thing we don't we don't live with. We don't see in touch every day. Yet that there's folks who create that business, that service, that product from nothing. There's the yeah. Richard Branson's, the Elon Musk's and the Jeff Bezos who, you know, started companies and became household names to some extent. How did, you know, what distinguishes these kind of guys and these kind of women from people who start out, start businesses and, and don't become, you know, don't start space companies, as it were. I mean, each of these guys are trying to land on Mars. Um, well, I mean, first, we've got to include here the element of luck, that they were in the right time at the right place, and maybe they also hired a few critical people who saw an extraordinarily critical element to the firm and its future and its development that that person wouldn't have seen. And Branson is an interesting example of this because Branson is functionally a dyslexic. And so he takes a look at um, a spreadsheet, a, a basic balance sheet, and it's all pops and whistles to him. And so he needed to surround himself with some extraordinary people that could take care of that part of the business. Now, the other thing is that many of these other firms where we don't know the CEO, that he or she is not in the public spotlight, there was a founder at one point, maybe a 100 years ago, maybe even longer than that, that was the charismatic founder of this firm. 
and that firm has grown, grown beyond the needs for charisma. You know, as, as a firm gets bigger, that founder becomes less and less important. You need to take that charisma and that energy, and you need to codify it. And by that, I mean formalize it and bring it back into the organization. It's too big to be a cult of personality. And so mm-hmm. you're talking about the Elon Musk's and the Jeff Bezos of the world and the Richard Bransons, they were the founders of their company. And they're still there. They're still growing. They're still pushing. But they were the ones smart enough to realize that they had to professionalize the firm. And they went from being operations to ideas. And that's why they're still relevant. Right. And so there's this idea of they hired A-list talent and those A-list Hires then hired more A-list people because of their charisma. They were they were able to attract this talent and then thereby grow this A-list company. That, um, that's exactly true. So it's kind of a pass through or trickle down where they made the right decisions close to them in terms mm-hmm. of people, which allows them to focus more on the market, on new products, and mm-hmm. uh, and then allow those other folks the still C-suite executives, but they're handling the day in and day out of the organization, including the negotiations with Wall Street, right? Including money, including uh, making asset managers and shareholders happy. And so you you mentioned charisma. How do we define this in a business leader? Like, what is charisma? How, what kind of person, and and, and can you develop it if you don't have it? I, I wonder. I mean, this is probably a pretty deep question for a, for a Monday, but yeah. What do you think? Yeah, well, that's a, it is a big question. You know, charisma is one of those things that we know it when we see it, uh, but it's hard to define. Now, let me restate that. Actually, we don't necessarily know it when we see it. We know it when we feel it. And there's the critical thing which distinguishes somebody who's charismatic from somebody who is not, is there's a palpable feel to somebody who's charismatic that is inexplicable. It's, it's beyond science's ability to capture what that thing is, we um, they have all uh, again a, a physical kind of effect, and part of it is an effect of attraction that we're mm-hmm. attracted to that person, and that doesn't mean they're physically attractive, right? It, it, it's sort of like a magnetism sort of thing, and mm-hmm. we also want to do their bidding to be part of them and part of of the the, the glory that they um, help establish and the aura that they disseminate around them. And so that's sort of what charisma is. And then you follow up quickly, but a long answer to this, but to follow up quickly, we know that anybody can get developed, get better rather, can develop their skill, skills and become a better leader. Anyone, right? I mean, this is really good news for all of us, and it's good news for guys like me that are professors of leadership development or also <laughs> a job, right? I mean, this is a, this is a good <laughs> right. thing for me as well. But there does seem to be a point where everybody runs into a ceiling effect. So everyone mm-hmm. can develop, but they flatten out. And one of the explanations why that curve flattens is, and this goes back to your word, they don't have any more of it. Right? We've all got a different it capability, and you can reach your ceiling. You don't have any more of it to draw from. And part Mm -hmm. of that it might be charisma. 
they just don't have this social skill, this palpable yet inexplicable quality that draws people to them, and that's why their leadership might flatten out. So the, you, you become a leader in a company. You become well-known. You become famous. Are there any negatives to that in the business world of becoming a, a, a famous business leader yeah, once, bigger, you, once you've established yourself? Yeah, bigger you are, harder you fall, right? Um, one of the great dangers of it is that now you're under a spotlight. Everything you do, everything you say is being analyzed very closely. And think of Janet Yellen at the Fed. Now, I know that's a public function and not necessarily a private function. And Alan mm-hmm. Greenspan kind of back in the 80s and 90s became the first of these sort of guru Federal Reserve Board chairs. But everything he did, every word, every hesitation was being analyzed by world markets, right? Because in some ways, this is the most important person in the world in terms of international financial markets. The higher you get the more burden there is because of you've got larger, larger populations watching and listening to everything you do. And your impact is huge because you run Mm -hmm. Apple, you run GE, you run um, poor Mary Barra at uh, GM who walks into that job and has 5 million recalls is her first job is to start that process. And everybody Wall Street, um, asset managers, rating agencies, shareholders, everybody's looking at every step she takes. So that's a burden. That's one of the biggest burdens about being in that role. Do you have advice for young people who are starting out? They're in business school. They're, they're young CEOs. They're entrepreneurs. They want to start companies. They want to be the next Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos or Richard Branson. What 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 do they do? They're they're 19 years old. They're 23. They're they're starting out. What advice do you have for these uh, young men and women? Well, a lot of it is just patience. Leadership can develop, as I pointed out earlier, but it requires time. Just like any other skill development, you get better at leadership by doing it, failing, getting up, learning the lesson, dusting yourself off, and going out and doing it. And so it develops over a long, long period. Now, possibly it develops quicker for some that have more of the it that we referred to earlier, but it takes time. And the second is you have to be intentional about it. Most of these folks that have that we know that are in this role, and even some of those ones that actually are quite important but we don't know because they don't have a consumer product, they were very intentional about this. They didn't expect it to just happen. They kind of clarified in their head this idea of who they wanted to be as a leader, how they wanted to be remembered, what they would like people to say about them. And then in a very determined and oftentimes indefatigable process, they tried to move toward that day in and day out. There's there's a great line from Alice in Wonderland where Alice asked the Cheshire Cat, well, which way should I go? And the Cheshire Cat says, well, that very much depends on where you would like to end up. And Alice's response to that is, well, I don't really care where I end up. And so the Cheshire Cat says, well, then it doesn't make any difference which way you go. And that's the (laughs) same thing for leaders, right? I mean, where do you want to go? And then you've got to practice it, and it's going to take time. And so that's the advice that I give young people, and especially because the current generations, the millennials, and we're seeing this in business schools in terms of what our recruiters are saying, is they have an unrealistic 
an unrealistic sense of how quickly they will advance um, as a leader, as a manager in terms of the hierarchy of the organization. So they're after a year saying, well, don't, shouldn't I be in that position? Shouldn't I be in that position? It's kind of a delay of gratification, right? You've got a, you've got a generation that has had things come to them particularly information, right? Boom, right now, right now, no way. And so that's their sort of view of the world. So we might find some tensions here as those groups begin to move up in the leadership ranks. Now, baby boomers still control the world. There's no question about that. Generation X hot on their heels. So it's going to be a while until we see this um, generation move up. But maybe they've learned their lesson by then, that they need some of that patience and some of that intentionality. This has been great, uh, James. Is there anything else you want to add to this? I mean, it, it, I think that this has been pretty instructive, and, and you're, you're, you're very clear about what, what it takes to, to do this and, and what the pitfalls are of becoming a, a leader. Is there anything else you want to add for folks out there who might be listening? Well, I would touch just one other quick thing. Um, I don't really like talking about the personality of people in in these kind of roles, because you can have a range of different personalities that are well-fit, dependent on the industry you're in. But there is research on basic motive needs, motivational needs, and Mm -hmm. profiles. And one of them, the best models by David McClellan, says there's three primary motives. There's affiliation, which has to do with people, relationships. There's achievement, which has to do with solving puzzles, you know, constantly um, sort of challenging oneself. And then the third is power, um, which is nothing wrong with power, okay? We tend to have this pejorative view of power, but uh, power is just an, an instinct or a desire to control the environment, and of course that can be done for the best of everyone involved. All research shows that leaders need two of those qualities, and those are you need to like power. You need to want to influence the environment, and you need to like people. <laughs> you know, you need to right. be high in, in uh, an affiliation motive, because if you think about it, it's really hard to lead people, because at the end of the day, that's what you do. You lead people. You don't lead organizations. You lead people. And um, unless you can connect with them, unless you've got some empathy and that you can build a rapport with them. And then the last thing I would say here to fill this out is we oftentimes make a mistake of confusing performance for leadership. So somebody's really good at what they do, and so we assume they've got leadership qualities. To bring this back to what I was just saying, those are the achievement-motivated people that like solving problems, and they're really good engineers, they're really good lawyers, they're really just top, tip-top at this. And because right. they perform well, we move them over into leadership roles, even though they might not have the affiliation motive and the power motive. So one of the things that I constantly do out there working with firms, when I look at their leadership teams, I say, why is this person in this job? And it's usually because, well, they did the job really well. So we promoted them through the Peter principle, which is essentially to their level of incompetence. And now this person is frustrated in this role because they want to go back to engineering, right? That's what they love. And they're not getting the performance out of this person. And it creates kind of a you know, self-conspiratorial uh, cycle where they're not getting the performance out of this person that they wanted to because they essentially promoted the wrong purpose. 
sort of the point here is organizations need to select their leaders, not just based on how good they are in the job, but by other qualities that are more right. personal and motivational. Right. How they can lead. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, well, thank you very much for your time. This has been really great. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who appreciate these uh, words of wisdom. All right. Thank you. And if I can ever do anything in the future, please just let me know. Thanks for listening and be sure to check out the book at makeyoufamous.co. 